Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. And if you are a father, I want you to jump back up on your feet because today's Father's Day. And we are celebrating all the fathers at Cornerstone Church, whether you are a biological father, whether you are an adopted father, whether you are a new dad, old dad, spiritual father, mentor, father, figure, whoever, I'm celebrating you today. Come on, this is awesome. Happy Father's Day to you, to all the men in the house and joining online. Stay stay standing just for a moment, because... Because you might not know this, but when you became a father, the enemy drew a big target on your back. There is, the enemy wants to destroy fatherhood more than any other demographic, right, that we're tracking with, more than any ethnicity, any age, any profession, gender, or anything like that. There is an attack on fathers in our community. Because the enemy knows that for a crippled society, there are weak and absent fathers at the core, right? And the psalmist says, I will praise his works from one generation to another. And we've been churching for thousands of years, but what that scripture means is that we are, as a church family, only ever one generation away from becoming irrelevant. This is the significance of fathers today, that we would encourage our children to praise his works as we pray, just in the same way that someone taught you how to praise God's works, that we would teach other people as well, amen? And so I'm so glad that you're here. You might feel tired, but you showed up anyway. You might feel overwhelmed, but you showed up anyway. You are in your place, and I'm so glad to see you here. You are resilient. And while the enemy has put a target on your back, the men of Cornerstone Church are resilient. We are overcomers. We are victorious. Come on, we're standing in our place. We are engaged. We are present. And so we celebrate you here today as being fathers at Cornerstone Church. Go ahead and... Grab your seats right where you are. I love it. I love being a dad. I love, I love being a man. I love being a dad. There is, I believe that there's a distinction, there's a difference between mothers and fathers. I was reminded of this just a couple of nights ago. We had those tornadoes on Thursday night, right? And uh, the sirens were going off around the county and Meredith and I are sitting at the dinner table, and we hear the sirens start going off. My boys are sitting there, and we look at each other like, are these tornado sirens that are going off right now? And we check our phones, and we're confirmed that, that these are tornadoes that are getting ready to touch down in the community. And so the first thing that I do as dinner wraps up, I walk straight out into our front yard and start looking up at the sky like... It, are these tornadoes really about the sirens are still going off, but we're looking up at the sky and my boys come walking out and they'd say, Dad, what are we doing? And I said, Boys, apparently there's a tornado that's getting ready to hit, but I just want to see what's going on out here. <laughs> and my wife is inside and she's gathering all kinds of emergency supplies and belongings and flashlights and candles and all and she's going down to the basement and my boys and, and I are just standing outside and we're just waiting to see if there's a tornado that's getting ready to touch down. And I look down the street and no word of a lie, there's two other fathers that are standing out in their front yard as well, just looking up at the sky to see if there's a tornado that's getting ready to hit. And I was reminded in that moment, this is why women live longer than men. (laughs) 
I love being a dad. I love, I, I, don't, I don't feel equipped for it, but I feel anointed for it. Like, you know, there's a difference between those two things. Just when you feel like you've got a handle on your kids, then the situation and the game changes and the words change and the season change. This is the joy of being a parent. And we certainly don't have everything together. I certainly don't have everything together as a father. Actually, just a, a little while ago, a few weeks ago, the way that we do it in our household in the morning is that uh, we alternate in mornings. So Meredith will have one morning, I'll have the next morning, vice, and vice versa throughout the entire week. And so it was one of the mornings that, that I am with the boys, and our boys have just woken up ornery like looking for a fight. My boys have chosen violence as they have woken up this morning and just arguing about everything. And so I look at our eldest and I said, hey, can you feed the dog? He looks back at me and says, no. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, that's an interesting response, but I'm gonna assume that you didn't hear what I asked you to do. Hey, I, I, I need you to feed the dog. And he says, no, I'm not gonna do that. I was like, okay, all right. So then I start trying to reason as well as I can. It's like 6.30 in the morning, pre-coffee, all this kind of stuff. And I start thinking, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reason with him. Okay, Theo, if you want breakfast this morning, then I need you to feed the dog before you're going to get any food today. He said, I don't want any breakfast. He's just digging his feet down, right, just like his mother. And... Um, <laughs> And so I'm, uh, yeah, exactly, it's my turn this weekend. And so, so I said to him, I'm like trying to reason, I'm going to the next level, and I said, okay, Theo, in this house, we are a team, right? In this family, we work together, we are a team, we all share responsibility, so if you want to live in this house, then I'm going to need you to feed the dog. Don't you know? He said, Dad, I don't want to live in this house. That little joker called my bluff that morning. I said, okay, 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 that's fine. Then there's the door, Theo. It's now, it's 6.30 in the morning. I said, Theo, there's, I'm gonna call his bluff. I said, Theo, there's the door. If you're not gonna cooperate, if you're not gonna participate, then you don't need to live in this house anymore. And he, with all the boldness of a seven-year-old, walks straight towards the door like this, opens the door, closes the door on his way out. And I think to myself, I'm just going to give him like two minutes because he's probably just going to be sitting on this, the front step, right? He's probably just going to be sitting in the driveway, maybe in the front yard. Somewhere. So I start looking. After two minutes, I start looking out the window, and he's not there. I open the door, and now I'm looking. He's not in the driveway. He's not in the front yard. Now I start panicking because I have sent my kid out the house because I told him that he couldn't. This is not one of my finest moments. Meredith's not going to be happy when she finds out about this. So then I walk to the end of, of our property, and I look down the street just in time to see Theo, our eldest. He's not now just at the end of the street. He's turning the corner at the end of our street, going down the next street. And now I start panicking because I've got our two little kids that are in the house, but I know that I need to go after this kid, right? And so I just leg it down the street to get to this kid. I'm in my Christmas pajamas still. <laughs> And I shout down the street, Oi, stop! And Theo stops. And he's probably like 100 yards away from where I am. He stops, turns around, 
he starts shouting back at me. I'm shouting back at him now. We've got neighbors that are walking their dogs down the street. We've got people that are on their way to work and people that are taking their kids to school. And we are having this yelling contest down the street, both of us in our Christmas pajamas. Eventually, he comes back to me. I'm having a conversation with him. We're bringing everything back to unity and restoration. I think all is now well. We hug each other. I apologize for sending him out the house. He apologizes for not feeding the dog. Everything seems like it's okay. And then I remember that I've been absent from the home for about 10 minutes and my two little boys have been left unattended in the house. So then I walk as quickly as possible to get back into the house and I find our four-year-old who's now sitting in the kitchen sink washing his feet because he stepped on something sticky. I don't know what it is. I don't have time to figure out what it is that he stepped on or I don't know where to go with that. I just need to find our three-year-old and see if he's okay. And he comes around the corner next and he is frothing at the mouth with this blue bubble solution. For Christmas, he had received these little tablets that you can throw. They're non-toxic, but he has received these little tablets that you put into your bathtub to change the color of. It's exciting when you put them in the bathtub. But he comes around the corner and he is frothing blue bubbles out of the mouth because he's put one of them in his mouth. And then like five minutes later, Meredith comes down the stairs. Hey, how's your morning going? It was uh, just one of those mornings. And I, there's really no point to that story other than the fact that I want you to know that while I might look like I have everything together, we do not have everything together as parents. Some days are better than other days. And um, we post like we have everything together. We talk about like we have everything together, but we're just like everybody else. We have no idea what we're doing when it comes. And I'm so, I don't think that I've apologized for that morning. I'm sorry for the way that I parented our children that morning. Today, I want to talk about fatherhood, but not from the, because I've got lots of experience as a father. But I want to talk about fatherhood, not from my perspective of being a father. I want to talk about fatherhood from the perspective and, and of the fact that God is our father. Whether you are a father or not, in many ways, is irrelevant. Whether you are male or female, we are all his sons and daughters. We all either have a, a a natural father, or we have a heavenly father as well. And so today I want us to understand the significance of what it means to have a father whose heart is towards us, that created us and loves us, and a heart wants, that wants to wrap around us. And that's the heart that I want you to receive today, is that we have a father's heart that is towards you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you're here in this place. I'm so thankful for the fathers in this house. I'm thankful for the way that you are encouraging all of us, men and women, to be leaders in our community. And I'm thankful, first and foremost, that you are the perfect example for us. And so I thank you that you've been speaking to me, and I ask that today that you would allow me to speak clearly and precisely with great precision, that you would bring transformation so that we can become more and more and more like you. Amen? Amen. One of the most common ways that God chooses to reveal himself in scripture is as a father. He does this time and time again throughout scripture. He reveals himself as a father. And for us to understand this in its entirety, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of scripture. When God reveals himself in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When God 
made man in his image, he reveals himself as the father of Adam. When he says, let there be light, there was light. When he says, let there be life, he spoke, he, he impregnated the earth with his seed. And since the very beginning, we see that the world has served as the womb for God's purposes to come to life, for God's purposes to become a reality. Every time that God speaks, we see that his purposes are being fulfilled in the womb of the world. This is why when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, when he says that the earth is travailing, when it is in turmoil, he's not speaking about the sound of death. He's speaking about the, the sound of pregnancy and the sound of birth. That means that when God is getting ready to do something, he is doing it through his people in the earth. Since the very beginning, we see that God has revealed himself as a father to Adam. After that, we see that God has revealed himself to, as the father to the nation of Israel. God says that he is the father to his firstborn, the nation of Israel. Soon after that, we begin to learn who Jesus is, that Jesus is the only begotten son of God who came to earth to pay our ransom so that we could all be in right relationship with the father. First, we see that Adam becomes the one who reveals God as the Father. Then we see Israel reveals that God is the Father. Then we see that Jesus comes along and reveals that God is the Father. And then we see that we are also revealed to show that God is the Father. And I need you to understand this fact today because when Jesus was asked, how do we pray by his disciples? He said, pray just like this, our Father, our Father. He could have said, pray our healer, and he would have been correct. He, said, he could have said, pray our, our creator, and he would have been correct. He could have said, pray our judge, and he would have been correct. But he didn't do any of those things. He said, pray our father, our father. He could have said, pray my father, and he would have been correct. God is the father of Jesus, but he didn't say, pray my father. He said, pray our father. Our Father. That means that God is our Father. And I need you to understand this today, that God is our Father. Would you look at the nearest two people closest to you and say that God is my Father? God is my Father. God is my Father. This fact has great significance because when you begin to understand that you have a Father, when you have a Father, you don't stand in the door and knock. When you have a father, you step right on into the house. When you have a father, you help yourself to the fridge. If you've been off at college and you've just come back home for this weekend, you know, you know that you don't have to stand at the door and knock when you come home. You walk straight on in like this is your place because it belongs to your father. When it's your father's, you know that you have access to everything that he has access to. So if he has access to healing, then you have access to healing. If he has access to deliverance, then you have access to deliverance. Everything that the Father has access to, you have access to that as well. And too many of us, too many of us walk around like we have no access to the Father. Too many of us stand on the outside in the pig pen. Bishop talked about this some yesterday at the men's breakfast. Too many of us stand outside in the pig pen like we think that the significance of what we have done is greater than what Jesus has done. Like we don't have access to the Father anymore. 
He's your father no matter what you have done. The reality of what Jesus has done is greater than the reality of what Adam did. The reality of what Jesus has done is greater than anything that you can do. There should be nothing that separates you from the Father, God. He is. He's our Father. You need to understand this today. When he chose to reveal himself as a father, it really had nothing to do with gender. It had nothing to do with anatomy. When he reveals himself as a father, he does so because of position He does so because of the role that a father has in the lives of their children. You cannot overstate the significance in the role that a father has in the lives of their children. Cannot overstate it. It's second to none. When when a father is involved in the lives of their children, when, when a father is healthy and active and engaged in the lives of their children, everything for that child gets better. They perform better in school. They perform better at work. They perform better at home. They perform better in society when fathers are active and engaged and involved in the lives of their children. The impact is second to none. And the opposite, the opposite is true as well, that when a father is not present for their children, everything gets worse for that child. They are more likely to end up in poverty. They are more likely to end up with mental health disorders. They're more likely to end up as a drug dealer on the streets. They're more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to end up not graduating from school. They're more li- Everything that you can possibly measure gets better when a father is involved. Everything that you can measure gets worse when a father is not involved. It has more impact in the life of a child than the zip code that you grow up in, than the schooling system that they go through, there is great significance in the lives of our children when fathers, when fathers are present. What also happens and what we also begin to see is that there is such significance in the responsibility and the role of a father that if you are not in that role, And if you abdicate that role, that someone else or something else is going to step into that role. You can think that if you are a father and you step out of that role, then a void will exist. It doesn't work like that. Nature abhors a vacuum. That means that when you step out of that responsibility, something or someone else is going to step into that responsibility. And so the question for you today is, what is going to step into the place that you step out of? right? This is because children are sponges. Children soak up everything that is around them. They're not just sponges, they're also mirrors, and they reflect everything and everyone that is around them. You look at a child, and you can tell if there's a father in their life because they reflect fathers. Children will also reflect mothers if mothers are the close. This is particularly true for little boys, Boys will reflect their mothers if they are the closest influence, or their fathers if they are the closest influence, or drug dealers if they are the closest influence, or, or children that have bratty mouths. They will reflect whatever it is that is closest to them because children are sponges and, and children are, are mirrors, and so they're going, to re- they're going to reflect the things that are around them. And this has been true not just in society today, this has been true since the very beginning, that God so values the role and responsibility of fatherhood. Let's look at um, Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4. 
Exodus chapter 4. This is the context of what's going on in this moment, is that, is that Moses has just been met by God up the mountain with the burning bush, right? We know that the people of Israel are being held captive as slaves by the nation of Egypt. And so God has just spoken to Moses, and he said, I want you to go and be the deliverer to my people in Egypt. Go and set the Israelites free. And so Moses now walks toward Egypt, and this is what happens in this story. In Moses chapter 4, verse 24, it says, At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, being God, let him, being Moses, alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. That is a weird portion of scripture. I don't care which way you cut it, that is a weird portion Oh, you like that? I thought Johnny would like that one. It doesn't matter which way you cut that. That's a weird portion of scripture. It didn't make any sense that God has just spoken to Moses and said, you are going to be the deliverer that sets my people free. And then Moses goes on his journey to do just that. And then God tries to kill him. Why? The answer is in the text, and the answer is in the context of what's also going on at this portion of history. What we know is that God made a covenant with Abraham, and this covenant said that you must circumcise all boys at eight days old. Every boy that is born in your lineage must be circumcised. And then what we know in this text is that for some reason, Moses didn't do that. I don't know if he chose not to do it. I don't know if he forgot that he needed to do it. He'd been living in Egypt, right? And then he left, and now he was in the wilderness. Maybe he forgot that he needed, I don't know why he hadn't done that, but all we know is that he did not do that. And then Zipporah, his wife, comes in and saves him from death. What we know is that she was not the target. He was the target. Moses was the target because he hadn't fulfilled his responsibility as a father. Moses was more focused on the task that had been given to him than taking care of the responsibility of leading his own family. He was more focused on going to the people of Israel and freeing them and setting them free than he was on fulfilling his own responsibility in his own family. Come on, I'm trying to find you right now. He was focused more on his career and making money than leading his own family. Have I found you yet? He's more focused on the external task than he is on the internal responsibility and purpose that God has created for him. And so often we get caught up in the same kind of thing. We have all this this great grandeur of what it's like to make money and be an entrepreneur and be a business leader and step into ministry and do all these great things for God. And we do it often at the expense of our own family, our first responsibility. Many of us would know the name Billy Graham, arguably the greatest evangelist of all time. He packed out stadiums 
all over the world. He preached the gospel, led countless people to Christ. He was an advisor to kings and to presidents. And I think one of the greatest evangelists, certainly of the 20th century. When asked in his latter years, do you have any regrets? And if so, what is one of them? He said, my greatest regret is that I didn't spend more time with my children. My biggest regret. And I hear that and I'm like, Billy Graham, you're one of the, you populated heaven during your lifetime. You had one of the most, the largest impact for the kingdom of God. You grew the church. You sacrificed everything for ministry and for the calling that God had placed on your life. He says that I wish that I spent more time with my children when they were young. You have a choice at the end of the day on what you do with your time. You have a choice on what you decide to follow. You have a choice on on what you decide to pursue as holy. For Moses, he was given a choice on how is he going to pursue holiness. Meredith has been talking about this for the last few weeks, that God is holy. And he says, be holy as I am holy. He says, be a holy leader as I am holy. Be a holy father as I am holy. Be a holy husband as I am. Be a holy wife as I am holy. Be a holy friend as I am holy. You have a choice on how you are going to live out that holiness that God has called you into. And the issue with Moses is that he didn't cause a distinction and a separation with Egypt that he was coming out of. God said, I cannot use you in public if you don't honor me in private. I cannot use you in public if you don't honor me in private. If you don't separate yourself from the thing that makes you common, if you don't separate yourself from the thing that makes you profane, I cannot use you publicly. You have to choose holiness today. So then when you fast forward in the story, Moses, because he's been saved by his wife, goes into Egypt, sets the people free, you know, let my people go times 10, plagues come, Red Sea opens up, collapses on Pharaoh and all of his army. Now Moses is leading the people of Israel in the wilderness. Moses dies, and along comes Joshua. Now Joshua is the leader of the people of Israel. Joshua. What Joshua realizes quickly is that when the people of Israel left Egypt, they brought a little bit of Egypt with them. They brought some beliefs and some perspective and and some values and some faith of the people of Egypt with them. When they stepped out of Egypt, they brought a little bit of Egypt with them. And so what Joshua says is, you can choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose. You have the ability to choose Holiness. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. This is what God calls us into. And so then we have this this issue because Moses didn't choose holiness. He didn't choose to separate himself from the thing that he had come out of. He wasn't able to defeat the enemy that God was going to lead him into except for the fact that his wife stepped in. He didn't choose 
holiness in and of himself, but how many are thankful for women like Zipporah? How many men are thankful for women just like Zipporah? Come on. If you know a woman just like Zipporah that's wise and able and steps in and isn't fleeing from danger, she steps in and she saves the day. And uh, I'm married to a woman just like that, a woman who saved me. You might not know this. Come on, put your hands together for Meredith. You might not know this, but Meredith and I, we almost didn't get married. We almost didn't even get engaged. We almost didn't even make it past like our second date. This is because when we started dating, like I remember the first time that I see her and I think she looks incredible, right? This fine little Yankee thing. But then we start dating and we're both young and we're in Bible college and when you're a young student, you know everything and you're always right, you're never wrong. And when you meet two people together that are just like that, it leads to conflict all the time. And so just about every single date that we went on, we're debating stuff now, right? And so on our second date, we're now having conversations about what we want to do with the rest of our life and what do we feel like we have been called into. I asked Meredith this question, and she said, well, I think that I could do a lot of different things, but I feel like I've been called to be a preacher, and I just feel the blood drain from my face, because I grew up in a church that had a very literal translation and interpretation of the scriptures around women should remain silent in the church, and so when she says this to me, I think that cannot be. I'm, in, I'm growing in love with this woman, but she's clearly in sin with the fact that she wants to preach the gospel. God, how could you lead me towards someone like this? And so I ask her the question, well, when you say preach, you're talking about like to children, right? And she's like, she's like no, 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 I'm not talking about just preaching to children. I'm talking about like preaching to adults. And I'm like, okay, like, like to women, right? Preaching like woman to women. That's what you're talking about when you say that you feel called to be a preacher, right? She's like, no, I'm talking about I want to preach to everybody, every soul that will listen. I want to declare the goodness of Jesus without reserve, with no reservation. I want to preach the goodness of God to them. And, and I'm just mad at God that he would draw me to someone like this. And so for the next few months, we just go back and forth sharing podcasts and books and teaching and interpretation of scripture. And we go back and forth about how we can defend our position because we both like each other, but I'm not willing to give up what I believe and she's not willing to give up what she believes. And then over time, over the next few months, I begin my, I, to feel my heart change. I begin to look deeper into the two scriptures where Paul is writing about women in the church and begin to understand that what he is talking about is very directly to a specific group of people, not to women everywhere, not to women for all time, but he's talking directly to some women in those churches at that time. And while I begin to change what I believe, my heart is still that I want to hold on to this position, right? Because what I realize in myself is as I begin to analyze, why don't I just come out and tell Meredith that I've changed my mind on this? What I begin to realize is that if I tell her that I have changed my mind on this, then that means that men and women can do the same kinds of things. 
And what I realize is that if I begin to tell her that, then I'm in fear that she will realize that she can do all those kinds of things and she will have no need for me, right? I begin to realize and get frustrated with that in myself because if I allow her to lead, if I allow her to preach, then I'll be concerned about who am I. And, and maybe if she could be a leader and maybe if she could be a preacher, then she won't have any need for a husband. She won't have any need for, she won't have any need for a protector. She won't have any need for a provider. And when I humbled myself, which took a lot of help from God, <laughs> I realized that she could lead and she could preach and she could prophesy and still want a husband at the same time and still want a protector and still want a provider at the same time. And the lie of the enemy says that, that you cannot have those things. I love that we are a church that says that male or female that you can preach. I love that we are a church that says that male or female, you can prophesy and you can pray and you can lead, not just here in the church, but you can do that anywhere, that there's no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, that God has created us all to be used for his purpose, that it doesn't matter who you are, your age, your ethnicity, or anything else, that you can do anything that God has given you to do. God has given you something to do, you can do that thing. The enemy doesn't want you to believe that, though. The enemy wants you to believe that you are restricted, that you are confined, that you are unable, that, you, that the thing that you struggle with today will be the thing that you always struggle with. The enemy wants you to believe that that addiction that you have today, that that's going to be the addiction that you always struggle with. That lust that you have, that gossip that you have, that whatever that issue is, that that thing that you have will be the thing that you always struggle with. That this is the lie of the enemy. And maybe you have begun to believe that because, <laughs> maybe you've begun to believe that and maybe you have accepted that lie from the enemy that you are good for nothing, that you have nothing to offer to other people, that you are... Um, That you are dry, just like this glass, that you are empty, just like this glass, that nobody, nobody ever poured into you, so you have nothing to pour out for other people, that your father or your mother never showed up to your graduation, that your father or your mother or your friends, that they weren't available to you and so they never poured into you and because no one ever poured into you, then you can't pour out to other people. And maybe you're dry here today, maybe you're frustrated here today because nobody ever showed up when you opened your first business, when you landed your first promotion, no one ever poured into you, no one ever showed up for you in those moments. No one was ever there for you in those significant times when you became a parent yourself. Nobody ever showed you what it's like to be a father. No one ever showed you what it's like to be a husband. No one ever showed you what it's like. No one showed you what it's like to control your temper. No one ever poured into you. 
And so now you walk through life as empty as this glass, unable to pour out for other people because nobody ever poured into you. The good news today is that Jesus knows just what's that, what that's like. Where was Joseph when Jesus needed him? We haven't seen Joseph since the feast. Where was Joseph when Jesus graduated? Where was Joseph when he performed his first miracle? Where was Joseph when Jesus bled on the cross? We see Jesus' mother Mary present at all of these significant milestones in the life of Jesus, but we don't see Joseph anywhere. And I don't know where Jesus' father, Joseph, was. Scripture doesn't tell us if he died or if he left or if he was absent or what happened to him. All we know is that Joseph wasn't present. Joseph, he wasn't there. And you cannot tell me that it had no bearing and it had no impact on Jesus. It had to have had impact on Jesus. The good news is that what Jesus couldn't get from Joseph, Jesus got from God. And while Joseph wasn't there to pour into Jesus, his heavenly father was able to pour into him. And so while Jesus could have gone through life frustrated that his earthly father wasn't there, wasn't present, didn't show up, wasn't there for him in his good times and his bad times, he didn't go through life frustrated, hurt, abandoned, victimized. What he didn't receive from Joseph, he received from God. So as God poured into him, he was able to pour into other people. Not just for his own sake, but so that other people could be refreshed as well. And I believe today there are some that are in the room and some that are joining online that are going through life dry, going through life empty. Like it's been a while since anybody has ever poured into you. And so if somebody were to ask something of you, your response is going to sound a little something like this. I don't have anything left to give. I don't have anything to give as a parent. I don't have anything to give as a friend. I don't have anything to give as a sibling. I've got nothing left to give because nobody's pouring into me so I can't pour into other people. The good news is that God is available to pour into you today. So here's what I want you to do. If you're feeling that this is you in this moment, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling empty, if you feel like you, it's been a while since anybody ever poured into you, I want you to do something really bold and stand up on your feet right here in this moment because this is an opportunity for God's presence to pour into you. On the count of three, I want you to do this bold thing. One, two, 
and three. This is your moment to stand up. If you're feeling dry in this place, come on, put your hands together for those that are bold enough to say today that I need God's Holy Spirit. I need His presence to be pouring into me today. And for those that are here in the room that are standing and for those that are joining online, we're going to put our hands in your direction and believe that God is going to pour into you in a way that no man can, in a way that no woman can. Come on, let's pray and believe that his refreshing power is coming in this place. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your presence today that is able to restore. I thank you that you first revealed yourself to us as a father so that no matter how good or how bad our earthly father is, we can find a good father in you. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's able to refresh today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work, that you would bring refreshing right now in this moment in a way that cannot be experienced in any physical, it cannot be understood in any natural sense, but it is only experienced because of your natural power, your supernatural power in this place today, God. Have your way. Spirit of living waters, I speak a refreshing over your people here today, that we would find abundance in our abundant God. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Heal what only you can heal. Restore what only you can restore. We're thankful for the healing that is coming in this moment. Healing. Healing. And freedom. And joy. And peace everlasting. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Thank you for it, God. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment with everybody that needs a touch from heaven. I thank you that you are such a good father, that you have seen all of us, that you have responded to all of us, that you are giving each and every person exactly what we need, God. And it's in your holy name we've prayed. Amen. 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 He's a good God, isn't he?